Your brain is incredible. According to Dr. Susanna Herculana Hosel, an associate professor at Vanderbilt, we have 86 billion neurons in our brains. That's a lot. And according to brainfacts.com, the neuron is the basic working unit of the brain, a specialized cell designed to transmit information to other nerve cells, muscle, or gland cells. Scientifically speaking, everything you do is controlled by your brain. These 86 billion neurons are firing all day. Then we have chemicals like dopamine, adrenaline, and serotonin that help us know things about our experiences, sending pulses to extremities, sparking memories, imagination, and fear. It's an amazing organism that we're focusing on in today's episode. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's conversation is going to be new for a lot of us. My guest today is Joseph O'Connor, author of Coaching the Brain, Practical Applications of Neuroscience and Coaching, and also Introducing NLP, Psychological Skills for Understanding and Influencing People. Now, I realize those are potentially heavy titles, and most of you are wondering, what the heck is NLP? And that's where we're going to begin, with some definitions on neuroscience, neuroplasticity, and neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP. Now, this is a dense meal, so let's eat it one bite at a time. It will be beneficial to you, I promise. Please enjoy my conversation with Joseph O'Connor. Neuroscience is the the study of um, the structure and function of the nervous system. And the nervous system is our brain, but also our spinal cord and everything that about us that allows us to think and, and move. Uh, so neuroscience is the study of that and how it works. And lest we start to think that the brain is, you know, we're like a brain on a stick and it's isolated from everything else. Um, social neuroscience as well, our brains and our thinking is formed by other people right from when we're born. That's, you know, you, you can't, you, your brain won't form properly unless you're in society talking with other people. You know, you need other people. We're part of that network. So I don't want to give the impression that we're just a brain and by understanding how that works and we can solve everything. Also, of course, the brain is embodied. And we need our sleep. We need our exercise. Um, you know, if, if you want to think clearly, then the best thing you can do is get a good night's sleep and uh, get some exercise in because the brain is part of the body. But that's neuroscience. So it's, it's a study. Uh, and in the last 10, 15, 20 years, maybe, we've really increased our knowledge of how the brain and, and nervous system works. So much so that many psychological models are, are being rewritten. Um, neuroplasticity is the, um, well, it's the term for how, the, how we learn, basically. In other words, the brain is changing all the time. Um, the brain with the nerve cells, what's important is not the number of nerve cells you have, although I think the actual <laughs> number is something like 86 billion, which is pretty mind-boggling. But it's the connections that you make between them. That's what matters. And those connections go into trillions. So 
when you're when you're learning something, what you do what you're doing is you are making new connections between nerve cells. A nerve cell on its own is useless, you know? but nerve cells connecting with others, then you start to to get into something. So that's neuroplasticity. It's the the property of the brain to change itself. The, the actual nerve connections in response to our experience, which is fascinating because then you have ex- you have thought and experience, which is not tangible. You know, our thoughts are not tangible. You can't weigh them. And yet they change our, our brains. They change the material of the neurons. And then the changed material of the neurons in turn changes our thinking and changes our experience. So it's this constant... Uh, interaction and change, which which always makes me say that the brain is a verb. It's you know we think of it as this big chunk in in our skull, but it's really a verb. It's changing all the time. You know, my brain will be different at the end of this little podcast, and so will yours, and so will all the listeners, and uh, hopefully in a, in a good way. <laughs> so, third one, neuro linguistic programming, uh, or NLP. Um, that's a uh, a description of a, of a field of study that started in the 1970s. Uh, really, it started with the study or the, the modelling, as they called it, of high performers. And uh, the, the two main guys who started it, Richard Bandler and John Grinder, they lived in, um, in California, um, they studied communication skills experts. They studied people who were extremely good at communication skills um, and therapy and these sorts of elements. And since then, it's gone out to really studying excellence in, in every way that you can, and then trying to, from that, the question becomes, well, what can I do to become better? So you've got this idea of accelerated learning. If I do things in the way that these really good people do them, not trying to imitate them, you know, we're not trying to create clones, but if, if we can learn something about their process of how they go about it and we apply that to ourselves, we can be even better at what we want to be. So from there, NLP, neuro, because it deals with the brain and, and thought, linguistic, because it deals with language, very important, the way that we use language, and programming, not in the sense of computer programming, but in the sense of thought leading to action. Okay. That is very, very, very helpful. Um, because <clears throat> without knowing any better, I would draw the conclusion that neuro, 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 you know, they're all basically the same, but those are very different things. So uh, bef- before we get into the specific lines, I'd like for you to draw for us with what NLP is and how we use it and, and what the framework actually looks like. Uh, I'd like you to, if, if you wouldn't mind going through a little bit with neuroscience and uh, how that is tied to leadership and coaching. I know you um, have written a book uh, about this, and, and actually you've built a practice ar- around how the brain works and neuroscience and coaching. So what have you seen with uh, how neuroscience is tied to leadership and coaching? In terms, of, in terms of leadership, leaders need to connect with people. They need to be able to communicate with people. You know, a leader on their own is not a leader. You, you can't talk about a leader on their own. You have to talk about a leader. And it it implies that there are people who will follow 
the leader, as it were. So that implies acting in a certain way, it implies being committed, it implies communication skills and being able to tell a story and connecting with, with other people in the way that works for them. So it's a very social thing, really. One thing that, um, new, at least in my studies of neuroscience, it has come to me, is that um, studies of leadership in the past uh, tended to have been built around particular qualities. You know, you say, what makes a leader? Well, they've got to have good communication skills and, and they've got to have this and they've got to teamwork and, and all of these things, as if it's about things that the leader has internally and then is able to express them. And it doesn't really work like that because a leader is, can't be a leader without a context. There are people who are leaders, and we can look around at our political leaders now, and we can look around at all sorts of examples of uh, people who are or have been leaders of companies, of countries, who were right at the time in the context of where that company or where that country was. But at another time, they would never have got a look in. So while it's useful to think about, um, you know, leadership qualities, that won't get you so far. That's what is often called laundry list thinking. You know, you need this and this and this and this and this and this. Practice that, you'll be a leader. No, you won't. You need the right context. You have to study the context. You have to, to know about the other people that are involved and the, the social context and everything else. To do that, you need to know how your own brain works. <laughs> you know, let's start there, um, because there are all sorts of tricks and traps that, that you can fall into. You know, there's the joke about, uh, I used to think that my brain was the most fantastic organ in my body, but then I remembered who was telling me that. So you, you need to understand yourself, the tricks that your brain can play on you. You need to understand how emotions work, for example, there's a lot about emotional intelligence in leadership and how it's really essential. But if you don't understand how emotions arise uh, and what happens to them, and you know they come from, first of all, from the brain, um, I don't know how you can be fully emotionally intelligent about that. And then all the tricks and the traps of thinking around confirmation bias and how we tend to notice and search out things that we tend to already agree with. Um, and that's just... That's just the way it works. You know, we've got this fantastic brain in our head that's been built from thousands of years of evolution. And now the world has changed dramatically, you know, in our lifetime even. And we've got this, <laughs> it's a bit like we've got a very, very old car that uh, we've got to drive on these uh, extra fast motorways. And you better know how it works. So you better be careful about it. What is it that people don't or people most commonly do not understand about how our brains work? Because you've mentioned several times that it's really important to know, uh, you know, the, like the analogy that we got this old car on a fast motorway and, and emotional intelligence. So what are some things that you found that people most commonly do not understand about how our brains work? Well, I'll say what's, uh, what's fascinating for me anyway, and that is the role of habits in our life. Because habits are built up by repeatedly making the same connection in our brain. Right? And it starts off with something that's rewarding usually. But when you do it over and over again, it becomes a habit. You don't even think about it. You could say you know, habits are those things that uh, you, you do without thinking. 
So when I was practicing the guitar and, and teaching my students, I would get them to repeat, practice, play over and over again the things that they wanted to. So they got better at it. So they didn't have to think about it. And that's fine. And we all understand that, how you can be a better guitarist or a better tennis player. You've got to practice, practice, practice. But it's also interesting to think that our thoughts are built in exactly the same way. And you get very good and habitual at thinking the thoughts that you repeat. And the brain doesn't distinguish between really useful and interesting thoughts and, and uh, empowering thoughts and very stupid thoughts. If you repeat them, that's what will be habituated and that's where your thoughts will tend to go, just like a habit. So if you think, you know, I, I'm pretty good at this, I think I can, I can work through this okay and I give this presentation, that's fine. But if you, start, if you think, I'm no good at this at all, uh, it's not going to work, I'm going to break down, I'm no good. If you practice that thought, that's the one that becomes habitual. Now, you know, we're not talking about what's true here. We're simply talking about what you, you get what you practice. <laughs> and the, the repetition is important, but also what's important is attention. Pay attention to something. The more attention you pay to it, and this is one of the keys to accelerated learning. Now, I knew that if I practiced the guitar for half an hour, really paying exquisite attention to what I was doing, I would get much better than playing, practicing for two hours, not particularly paying attention. So we get better at what we pay attention to. We get better at, uh, we form the habits more quickly and more strongly. Um, when we're emotionally involved. And that emotional involvement doesn't have to be good, you know, happy emotion, because we all know that uh, you get you get a fright and uh, you look, can learn very, very quickly to avoid things. So if you have a very bad experience doing something, um, that's going to have a big impression on you and you're likely to learn that you're not very good at that. You know, I, <laughs> when I was at school, age of about nine, uh, I had to give a presentation in front of the class and it was exquisitely terrible. It makes my toes curl to think about it even now. And, you know, for many years, I thought, I'm no good. I'm no good at standing in front of people and talking. Uh, you know, give up. But um, well, then I learned some NLP and, and uh, practiced a bit and uh, rearranged my thinking. And uh, I've done a lot of training to many groups of people all over the world, and it's been a great joy. So the emotion is important, the attention is important, the repetition is important. And you do, you know, you repeat things with that, and you'll get good at them. So be, be I would say, be careful at what you repeat, because we all know the phrase, one more time won't hurt. But the trouble is, we one more time, 10 times a day... <laughs> <laughs> and it does, you know, I, many years ago, I used to be a smoker and you could say, you know, one more cigarette won't hurt. But if you say that 20 times a day <laughs> and our brain does tend to delay what's called delay discount. In other words, our brain is very interested in immediate reward. You know, everything else being equal, we'll go for the immediate reward. It takes a, a quite a, a will, an effort of will not to do that. The Great Resignation. I am sick of it. And as leaders, we have to keep moving forward even as this whole situation is causing us chaos. You're not alone though. Now you may have gotten a black eye from the Great Resignation like I have, but you're not alone. 
So here's two things for you. If you need a spark of creativity, click the link below that says creativity or go to impactofleadership.com to get access to a self-paced webinar. It's only available until the end of March, so you got to get after it. The second is a reminder. We created the IOL community to bring like-minded leaders together for encouragement and hope. Get a free membership by clicking the below link that says free 99. That's my favorite price. Community will not save you, but it can help give you oxygen and perspective, real connections with real business leaders focused on real growth. Now, back to Joseph. So to the listeners, I know that we are in some deep waters and this conversation is meant for that. But uh, we're going to get to something now. Joseph wrote a book called Introduction to NLP, Psychological Skills for Understanding and Influencing People. That we can all benefit from. And so I really, you mentioned NLP a couple times so far, Joseph, and I really want to jump into this. So let's jump it there now into neuro-linguistic programming or NLP for short. So where should we begin thinking rightly about NLP? I mean, there, there's many definitions of NLP. Well, certainly the first one was something like, you know, how do very good people do what they do so well? Let's find out. And let's, first of all, copy them so that we can get better at what we do and then teach it to other people. You know, that's basically how it goes. Study, copy, teach. Yeah? Another way of thinking about it is it's the study of the structure of human experience. So what you're looking at there is structure. Now, when you say structure of human experience, what it means is there's a pattern to it. It's not random, you know, and that absolutely plays into how the brain works because the brain looks for patterns all the time. It's always looking for patterns. That's how we kind of survive because if there aren't patterns, then the world is random and could knock you on the head, you know, without warning at any time. So we really look for patterns all the time. So the study of the structure of our internal experience, of what our experience is. And that means, first of all, there are people who do things very well. Now, how does that guitarist play so well? What do they do? Well, you see how they move their hands. You uh, ask them how they think. You ask them uh, what they do to help themselves. And, and you start to build a model of what they do. And then you try it yourself. And you see if it makes a difference. And it will. Absolutely it will. And then you can teach it on to other people. And the same goes for the use of language. How do you use language to influence people? Because sometimes people will be influenced, sometimes they won't. Sometimes what you say will have precisely the opposite effect of what you want. You know, if we're talking about leadership, leadership is about communicating with people first, but also getting them to take action, to do something, to follow you. I just remember that story. There's a couple of famous orators in ancient Greece. And with one of them, people said, wow, that was a really great speech, you know, fantastic speech. <laughs> and after, when they heard the next orator, they said, okay, let's march. <laughs> let's move. <laughs> and that's, I think that's one of the keys of leadership. You don't want people to say, yeah, well, that was really interesting. Um, yeah, we want to hear more of that. We want people to say, okay, what do you want me to do? When you talk about NLP, you're talking about um, language and how to use language in a way that works for you. You're also talking about 
goals, what do you want, both long-term and short-term. And you're talking about values, what's important to you, because, you know, there are so many, many possible things that you could do. We all have so many goals, so many things we want. But time is limited and um, we have to prioritize. So what are the principles that we use to prioritize what we do? So, you know, if you do an NLP course, that's basically what you're going to go into, along with some very interesting stuff. I mean, I'm struck, for example, just a little practical application of NLP here. You, this podcast is called The Impact of Leadership, right? Now, impact is what we might call in NLP a kinesthetic word. When you say impact, there's a feeling to it. Another something else might be called a vision of leadership. That would be a visual word. I'm trying to think of one where you could have an auditory word of hearing, um, the, the sound of leadership. Those three are quite different in terms of what the brain does to them. One, the brain represents some action, kinesthetic action. For vision of leadership, it would be thinking about something that you see. And for the sound of leadership, it would be something that you hear. So you'd be thinking about it in quite a different way and you'd form different expectations from that, even if you weren't particularly conscious of them. And NLP says that basically what our thought is, is our senses on the inside. So we feel things, we hear things, we see things, we smell things, we taste things. And then we can do that also in our thought. And that's basically what our thinking is. And therefore, how do you align the, the sensations on the outside with the thinking on the inside? How, how does NLP tie to emotional intelligence? Because I didn't want to lose that. You, you had mentioned uh, emotional intelligence within leadership, and, and I totally agree. And I know, I know that it, there is a tie there, but what is, if you could, if you could just talk a little bit about the, uh, the tie between NLP and emotional intelligence. Uh, NLP is... You know, it's it's a study where there's an awful lot of of parts of NLP in many many different other studies too. If we say that's emotional intelligence, that's NLP, that's Gestalt psychology, whatever it might be, there's an overlap. There's always going to be an overlap when people start thinking about these things. Certainly in NLP, emotions, of course, they're important. They talk about emotional states, and and these are very important in terms of. Well, leadership, of course, and doing anything well. If you're going to try to lead a group of people and talk to them, you better be in a good emotional state to do it. Uh, and this is precisely what didn't happen with the some of my students playing the guitar. You know, they, their skills were there, but the emotional state wasn't. It went to pieces when someone was listening to them. So you had to build on that. Now, emotional intelligence, as I understand it, is basically four, four things. It's being aware of your own emotions, because if you're not aware of them, then you really can't do anything about them. Then there's the ability to manage those emotions, or guide them or whatever it is, because um, emotions have a terrific energy to them. And if you can use that energy in a way that really helps you and other people in a constructive way, then this is certainly one very important facet of emotional intelligence and anger is a perfect example you know we all get angry and yet some people may just blow their top and shout and scream and make everybody run away there's a tremendous energy there but it's it's being dissipated in a, in a way that isn't constructive it's actually having the the opposite effect to what the person wants because 
Anger is about being frustrated, wanting something and being blocked from it. Now, if you can feel that anger, we all get angry. We're not talking about trying to suppress emotions. That's the worst possible thing you could do. But to be aware of them and then to, to in that moment of choice, that half second or so, it's no more than that, to kind of think, okay, here's this energy. Now, what am I going to do with it? And channel it, then that's that can be very constructive, and that's emotional intelligence or part of it. Then you have the other two sides of it, which is to be aware of what other people are feeling. And again, you know, the, the implications here for leadership are, are just obvious and, and huge. You've got to know how other people are reacting to you. You've got to, there's a saying that the leader starts a sentence and finishes the sentence based on the person's reaction to it as it were. They don't start with a sentence. You know, they don't just say the sentence preformed in their mind. They're, they're watching what hap- what's the response and they're shaping what they say by the response of the other people. So all sorts of skills here in terms of, of you know, other people's body language, voice tone, um, facial expressions, all of these things. And then being able to manage another person's emotional state um, in a constructive way that's helpful for them and helpful for you and helpful for the context. There's so much, so much there. But I, I'd like to hear a bit about discoveries you've made while coaching people and, and, and researching and writing all of these books over the past two decades. And, and I'm sure there's a wealth of knowledge of coaching leaders. So what have been some of the more surprising discoveries that you've made over the last 20 years? That's always a bit of a funny question because but we, you know what it's like. You, you, you do something and it's a surprise. You go, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. It's new, right? We get to, in, in neuroscience, the dopamine hit. Wow, great. And then gradually that stuff uh, gets to be normal, you know. And we start to think, well, I always knew that. You know, well, it's no, no surprise now. And then there's the next big thing. <laughs> uh, we come on to that. So it's like, it's hard to think back to the time of the surprise, because from from the, the point now, it's like, yeah, I knew that. What's the, what's the big deal about that? You could say that that's, that's one surprising thing. It's surprising how we can be surprised and really bowled over by something. And then two weeks, a month, a year later, it's just part of our life. That's pretty amazing. And that works both ways. You know, we can, we can habituate ourselves to wonderful things. Uh, so that they're not wonderful anymore and we, we lose that enjoyment to some extent. And we can also habituate ourselves to really terrible situations where it's just, again, normal and um, we, we don't think of, of a way out. So that's certainly surprising. One, Two more things, at least, I think are surprising. One is the role of sleep in um, our general health and our brain health. Yeah, I want to hear. Yes, please. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've yeah. met so too many executives who, you know, I've really got to be focused. I've really got to study. I'll just take a couple of hours sleep tonight and then I'll be fresh and ready for that really important presentation. And I go, no, 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 no. That's the opposite of what you need to do. Do, you know, do your study, then sleep at least seven hours and your brain will sort it all out for you in that seven hours much, much better. Than you could possibly do if you if you did it awake 
and then you'll do it. That, that's what gets the focus. So that's one thing. The other thing is um, the importance and value of meditation, some kind of meditation practice. That, again, there's cast iron research in neuroscience around the benefits of meditation for attention, focus, um, resilience, and not being stressed, all of those things. And they're two pretty simple things, really. And, and yet the, um, the impact of, of those is enormous. But we, tend to, we do tend to be seekers after shiny objects, don't we? We do tend to, oh, that's the new thing. Oh, that's good. Oh, I'll do that. Oh, yeah, do that. And we forget the big, the big blocks, which if you get those right, the, the other little shiny ones will, will fall into place easily. Are there other uh, habits that you have found, um, as we're talking about repeating what successful people do, uh, around sleep uh, that to, to aid in creating a healthy habit of sleep so that it's not just, you know, trying to bank hours of sleep one night? You know, have you found anything like that that would, could be tips for people? Well, I'm, you know, it's not, I don't think it's rocket science. I'm not an expert on this, but there's all sorts of stuff that do. And it, you look at it, and it looks really easy, but it's not that easy. You go to sleep before midnight, you have a, a well-ventilated room, slightly cold, you know, it shouldn't be a hot room. It's hard to sleep then. Clear your mind, do some kind of meditation, listen to music or whatever it is that just helps you relax. Don't drink alcohol or eat a heavy meal before you go to sleep. Alcohol is one of the worst things to disturb sleep. And get a get a, a routine. Brain loves routines, you know. It loves these patterns. And if you if you do it, the brain learns. Oh yeah, it's time. It's about half past eleven. Time to feel sleepy. <laughs> and and habits just make things so much easier. Things that start out really hard. Once you've got the habit of it, it's easy. And you forget again that it was a bit of a struggle to start with. To close us out. Uh, what would you like to leave our listeners with? We've covered a ton of ground, and I know I tried to fit it all into you know about 25, 30 minutes here, uh, but what would you want to, to leave uh, our listeners with? Uh, You've you, you got to say no sometimes. You know, the, um, I'm writing my science fiction book, so what you do is you, you write and you write and you write, and then you edit, then you leave things out. You know, the music is made by what, by the periods of silence between the notes. So I'm sure, you know, people listening, you're going to be busy, you're going to be very good at things. And because you're very good at things, people will ask you to do things. You know, the better you get at things, the more people will ask you to do. It's one of these <laughs> um, catch-22 situations. And also, you know, there's so, so much interesting things going on. People will ask you to do all sorts of interesting things and you'd love to, and you'd love to say yes. And then you end up stressed and, and doing too much and doing other people's stuff instead of your own. You just got to say no. You've got to be really clear about what's important to you and say no when you need to, and it'll hurt, but it's worth it. That is a great place to end. Thank you. Uh, for all of that, that is an awesome sound piece of advice. Uh, I actually was writing some stuff down as you were saying it. So thank you, Joseph, for being here. Uh, thank you for your research and, and for being willing to, to share some of that with us. No, thanks, Steve. It's, it's a pleasure. 
All right, so takeaways and action items. First, the takeaways. Number one, we can influence or coach our brains. And doing nothing trains your brain. NLP is a framework for learning patterns, and there are patterns to how successful people do what they do or how they did what they did. Action items. Don't let circumstances or laziness determine the trajectory of your brain health. Second, check out Joseph's website, coachingthebrain.com. The link is in the notes. Now I would ask that you would consider giving us a review in whatever platform you're using. And on the most basic level, it helps us know that what we are doing at IOL actually matters. We're not shooting for fame or fortune. We're aiming at adding value to you, the leader. And these reviews are a great encouragement in that regard. And if you thought of someone during this episode, please, by all means, send this to them with a note of encouragement. Now, we have over 100 episodes that will aid in your growth as a leader, so follow or subscribe in whatever platform you're using to have access to all of them. And as a reminder, do not forget to check the show notes. Resources and connections abound. I can't wait to be with you again soon, but until then, from all of us at The Impact of Leadership, thanks for listening.